if you want to be an entrepreneur and you don't have that predisposition, you can learn it. Actively managing your mental health can make you much more effective as an entrepreneur. I had this unique experience of being an entrepreneur, understanding mental health, and going on the same journey as everybody that I'm trying to understand. When we started the Future Farm back in 2020, we quickly found out that there was very little academic research on the subject of mental and emotional well-being for entrepreneurs. The only study we could find and the only study everybody referred to is one by Dr. Michael Freeman. And today, we're talking to the man himself. We're so excited. Dr. Michael Freeman is a psychiatrist, a researcher, and very importantly, also an entrepreneur himself. This gives him the authenticity and the grassroots credibility on entrepreneurial well-being. Michael shares with us his insights on the unique traits that make somebody do something as risky and unpredictable as starting a business. What is the role of motivation, curiosity and extroversion in this? And what are the mental health conditions business builders are likely to face? What does he mean when he talks about entrepreneurs having superpowers? How much are we actually in control when it comes to the entrepreneurial urge? Should there be a test to see if you're made for this? Michael stresses the importance of self-awareness and self-care, developing practices to prepare for the journey and prevent vulnerability. And how do you actually deal with mental health issues when they arise? When asked about the single one thing we should do to change the stigma, to change the way people look at mental health in the entrepreneurial world, Michael asked a simple question back that stayed with us for a long time. Do you care about entrepreneurs as people? This episode comes with a bit of a warning. You will experience some major fanboy and fangirl behavior. Please meet Michael. This is Naked by the Future Farm where entrepreneurship is stripped to its vulnerable core. Brought to you by Vladimir Kobrystinska and Nectarios Lolios. And remember to subscribe, follow and rate Naked to help us share it with the world. So Michael, this is very special for us to have you and I'm going to explain why to our listeners. But, but hi Michael, awesome to have you. Thank you so much. I really appreciate being included in your podcast. It's, it's a exciting. high nectarious. Yeah, hello, hello, everybody. Indeed exciting. Um, so let me put this into context for the listeners. So as we introduced you through our intro, so the listeners know as they started listening from the first second, um, we're not going to go there, but you are a leading expert on how entrepreneurship impacts um, as a life choice, life choice as a li life path, really, how it impacts founders and entrepreneurs and their mental health. You've studied it for 20 years. When people Google mental health and entrepreneurship, it's your name that pops up, just to put everything into context. And um, guys, when you had to introduce how we got to sort of connect with you, Michael, so we have you know, common friends. And yes, there was a little bit of that warm up, but I have to say this. So there was an email that arrived to our inbox to hello at futurefarm.co that came through the email form through our website. 
And it basically suggested that, you know, that we know each other and that you've been following our work and that there's a lot of synergies and let's explore. And it was signed by Dr. Michael Freeman. So all that said, when we saw it, obviously you can imagine the the flow of emotion that went through us and the team. So um, thank you, Michael. I mean, it's it's a humbling experience. We're really excited to have you. Um, and for us at Future Farm, talking to somebody like you uh, on Naked, it's a little different from everything we do on Naked when we talk to entrepreneurs, right? Because we go there to their individual stories. But I think using the opportunity of having you and de- going deeper into the subject of what's really happening for entrepreneurs and their mental health, that's what we want to sort of dig into. Um, so I'd love to start, Michael, by asking you, what was the trigger on your journey to go and look into entrepreneurs as a tribe specifically, as a group and their mental health? What was the trigger for you to go and study the mental health of entrepreneurs? So thank you for um, that warm introduction. And uh, it's equally moving to me that the ideas I've been talking about for a couple decades are beginning to catch on and a broader community has come together to think about this uh, emotional context and mental health context of entrepreneurship. And while it's true that I'm a psychiatrist and a researcher, I'm also an entrepreneur and I've started a couple of companies. I'm starting one right now. And the trigger that got me interested in this was actually being the CEO of a company I started where we had uh, corporate clients. We had uh, like 300 corporate clients uh, and the companies were big, medium, and small. By the time that I had started that business, I had finished all my psychiatric training and um, so I was knowledgeable about mental Mm -hmm. health and I observed among the founders of the small companies, the startups, that many of those people had mental health issues that were transparent to me because I knew what to look for. And a light bulb went off and I just began to wonder, is there some relationship between mental health differences and the journey of entrepreneurship? Uh, so obviously, I, being an entrepreneur mm. myself... I've been on the roller coaster and you just a minute ago talked about the flow of emotions that happen when you in some way feel validated. And I, of course, that's the upswing of the roller coaster. And then when somehow you don't feel validated, then you get the downswing. And I've certainly experienced all that myself too. So I had this kind of unique experience of being an entrepreneur, understanding mental health, and kind of going on the same journey as everybody that I'm trying to understand. That was the, that was the context. That was a long time ago. That was, that was about 20 years ago. Mm -hmm. No, I mean, you are a legend in this space, but I must say that I can see how this is going to go the path of being a therapy. It's already happening, Michael, (laughs) like the, the reflection and sounding where you you're providing, but yeah, I'm ready for it. 
Okay, that's good. So, <laughs> so <laughs> because I am a therapist, um, I spend two days a week in a clinic. I have a entrepreneur mental health clinic near San Francisco, and I uh, two days a week. It's kind of back to back, wall to wall, entrepreneur mental health, uh, and I have a number of uh, colleagues that are helping me with that. So um, I do have that experience. That was one of the things that came out of this journey for me. I think it's really important when when we look at the data that's available that the the information we got from your study, the one that a lot of people rely on, but even since that you actually have that grassroots contact, you haven't lost that. And yeah. because a lot of people talk about the subject, but it's either through a personal experience or it's it's quite academic. And I think there's an additional, well, not an additional, the, the real quality comes from somebody who is actually living this every day, twice a week, um, with real people also following the evolution, because I'm sure over the last 12 to 14 months with COVID and everything else, that conversation has changed, right? So it's interesting to also dig a little bit deeper into, into what, you've, what you've experienced and seen. Um, it, it helps me be um, more authentic and less, mm. less theoretical theoretical i understand the the theory and i'll discuss that with you but then it always has that it always has to be applied in the context of the individual entrepreneur mm. and to be honest i mean this is what we reiterated so many times already on the, the episodes and on the shows is that the entrepreneurs really look for people who've walked the path, but also understand the challenges. So I think that authenticity is very important for being relatable, right? For people. So now that resonates a lot. So Michael, um, the, you, I looked through the, you know, we've had a conversation about a month ago and then we, I went deeper, studied, read this, your study, read a lot of other articles that are available out there, listen to shows. And, and one thing that stuck with me, which is on your website of, uh, of your venture that is fully focused on studying mental health of entrepreneurs and their wellness says your vision is, I'm going to read it out is we envision a time when people appreciate that mental health differences empower entrepreneurs to create value and that entrepreneurs with mental health differences have value. And when we had the conversation about a month ago, you also talk about the unique nature of entrepreneurs' mental health differences. Can you unpack this for us? What are the unique traits that we keep talking about here? Yes, I'd be happy to. The and you found, I think, probably the most important passage on that website, because there's so much stigma and discrimination against people with mental health conditions. And I have discovered that over and over again since I've started this current journey of trying to expand awareness and expand access to, to care for entrepreneurs. Uh, I've spoken to many venture capitalists uh, leaders of accelerators and incubators and leaders of entrepreneur networks, all of whom, or many of whom, most of whom endorse the concept of mental wellness and making it a priority. But when it comes to translating that into action, mm. there I've seen a lot of resistance. And this is the same resistance I've always experienced around anything having to do with policy about 
mental health for any population. So entrepreneurs are no different than other populations with respect to stigma and the shame and the discrimination that they uh, have to endure, even though entrepreneurs create all this prosperity and create all these jobs. Your question is, what specifically are those differences? And to help you think about it, I would look at it as differences that you can kind of put into two different buckets, though that's an artificial construct, and I'll explain why. But one bucket would be mental health conditions that are brain-based conditions like depression that are particularly prominent among entrepreneurs. So if you do the research to find out, do entrepreneurs have more mental illness than other kinds of people like managers or employees? The answer is no. But do they have different kind of mental health conditions? The answer to that one is yes. So there is a specific mental health profile that's common mm. among entrepreneurs. The second bucket is it refers to personality traits. So what is a personality trait? Let's say uh, one example would be motivation and another example would be curiosity. You and I are talking to each other today because we're both motivated and we're both curious. And the third trait would be extroversion. We both are extroverted. We get energized by relating relationships with other people. And everybody has personality traits they're biologically transmitted. You can It's impossible to not have personality traits. Uh, what's different is that, again, the entrepreneurs have a certain profile of personality traits. And that profile is different from managers and different from employees. So the way I think about it is pretty much everybody can hold the job. Some people can lead a team, a club, an organization, uh, you know, a hike in the wilderness, but very, very few people can start and grow an organization, a, a business. And so why is it that such a small percentage of our population, I think it's about 4%, really have the ability to start and grow businesses? Uh, and it has to do with these personality traits. The easy example is called risk propensity. Entrepreneurs take mm -hmm. a lot of risk, but it doesn't feel like risk to them. Uh, in fact, it feels the opposite. Not starting a business is a big risk for entrepreneurs because they'd be bored out of their minds mm -hmm. and they'd be unhappy. Yeah. So uh, that's a personality trait. There's one in that profile. And, and so those are the differences, different personality traits different set of mental health conditions. And of course, there's a relationship between the two of them. Thank you. I'm still absorbing it. But it's sort of, you know, I think the the, the structure that you build and visually helps. Um, Nataris. It's interesting because you started by saying that when it comes to the mental, the manifestation of the mental health problems, challenges, um, is pretty much the same between entrepreneurs and the rest of the population. I think one of the reasons we're doing what we're doing is because we feel that the stigma attached to it is always higher because it sort of stands against 
the glorification of the risk taker and the achiever and the job creator and the innovator. Um, and is this, have you experienced something similar or are we, are we here on the wrong path with, with our assumption? You're, you're definitely on the right path. The, oh, the total incidence might be a little bit higher among entrepreneurs. In our most recent study, we found <clears throat> that it was about 38% of entrepreneurs have one or more lifetime psychiatric conditions. Uh, whereas for the general population, it's more like 30%. So it might be a little elevated among the entrepreneurs. What What's significant, though, is the kinds of mental mm -hmm. health issues that entrepreneurs have. And uh, yes, the, uh, the stigma is, I, I don't know if the stigma is higher, but the stigma is quite prominent mm -hmm. uh, for those people. But also... The self-stigma and the self-deprecation and this, the feeling of needing to kind of hide something about who you really are and the feelings of shame that go with that. And for many entrepreneurs, this starts very early in life. Um, if you look at the, uh, the data on uh, ADHD, attention deficit, hyperactivity disorder, for example. That's one of the conditions that's very common among entrepreneurs, much more common among entrepreneurs than it is with the managers and the employees. Those kids, those kids with ADD, grew up being criticized, being blamed, being um, embarrassed, being shamed, And by the time they get to be young adults, they already have low self-esteem. Uh, and so when you go from being a kind of a disruptive adolescent with ADHD, who's getting thrown out of your class and is getting, you know, good enough grades, but not living up to your potential, and you're the class clown and a troublemaker and... Um, then and disruptive and the system is telling you that you're a problem. And then fast forward 10 years later, you're building a business, you've created 20 jobs, you uh, hired all of the A students from the class you got kicked out of to help you. It's, you're the same disruptive kid, but now as a disruptor, you're looked at in a totally different way, but you as a person haven't changed. So when you, when you overlay this kind of the stigma and the negative um, images on these entrepreneurs, it's touching on something that they're already from childhood set up to be, to be particularly sensitive to. Mm. And I think, you know, I think that part of it contributes to the culture of entrepreneurship, you know, among entrepreneurs, if you talk to them, if you talk to founders, what you often hear is we're crushing it and we're killing it and we're knocking it out of the park and uh, everything is great and the world loves our product. And uh, it, it's kind of hyperbolic. It's, uh, it's, there's an exaggerated sense of success that, and enthusiasm that gets projected in a way. I, I feel like, For many people, that's kind of covering over and filling this vacuum of 
low self-esteem that kind of people bring with them on this journey to uh, to entrepreneurship. Mm. I was actually interested too. Sorry, go ahead, Michael. Well, I was going to say the reality is a lot of entrepreneurs are otherwise unemployable, and they 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 don't want to hold a job and they can't hold a job, and so you can imagine what that does the the emotional impact of that. One guy told me that uh, he he's an, a serial entrepreneur, and he he says the entrepreneurs we live in the remote suburbs of cities that we want to improve and empower to succeed where we'll never be accepted as citizens. Mm. That, that's a beautiful visualization of, of, of what you just said, right? It's that, that unemployability people sometimes mention, right? And sometimes it's a quip, it's a joke. Um, I can't help just looking at my own path. And I was such a fully functioning employee and I was very happy to, to submit to the corporate structures. And then when I, when I left that world and I look back, I really can't imagine going back. So there is something about this, having crossed that path where you recognize the possibilities of the risk taking and, and the, the beauty of unemployability. But that's, that's an aside. Uh, I know that well, Vladi had a question. The sense of freedom that goes with it. Oh. And ownership. And, uh, and ownership, yes. And, and the, the creativity and the ability to sort of imagine and direct your own future rather than following the steps up the ladder in a corporation. Mm. Michael, the, the new fact for me today from what you shared versus what I sort of was keeping in my mind when I also read the study is that I, I was with the assumption that what differentiated the entrepreneurs big time in terms of the mental health is the uh, the scale. So it was the 72% of entrepreneurs compared to general public, right? So that was sort of the data point that I was working with. It's uh, there's a little nuance because the what the study found is that 72% of entrepreneurs are affected by mental health directly or indirectly. So what what that means is if you're an entrepreneur it's there's a conservatively a real conservative realistic 38% likelihood that you have one or more diagnosable mental health conditions. But if you look at the first-degree family members, the parents, the siblings, and the children of entrepreneurs, what you find is an elevated level of mental health issues in the, very, in the nuclear family, in the close families. And so entrepreneurs, so why that's relevant is that the mental health conditions are associated with superpowers, with traits that allow entrepreneurs to succeed. And it often turns out that the entrepreneur has a more severely mentally ill sibling or parent or child, and that the entrepreneur kind of inherited like just the right amount of energy, just the right amount of extroversion, just the right amount of creativity, just the right amount of curiosity, just the right amount of open-mindedness 
to be very good at entrepreneurship, but that other people in the family have too much and they have levels of symptoms that cause disabilities rather than driving the success. And so entrepreneurs, even if, you, even if you're an entrepreneur with no mental health issues whatsoever, highly likely that somebody very close to you does mm-hmm. have a mental health problem and that you've lived your entire life with a disabled sibling or with a parent who's an alcoholic or with a kid who's in a special needs school someplace. Uh, so it's really this bigger context. That's the 72%. Uh, it's that that the entrepreneurs live in this world of, of just a different mental health perspective. And then we think there's an equal likelihood of having addiction issues, but they're different kinds of addiction issues. For the people who are not entrepreneurs, there's more of a likelihood of having substance-related addiction issues compared to the entrepreneurs where there's more likelihood of having more behavioral addiction issues. So what's a behavioral addiction? Being a workaholic, just can never stop working. People get addicted to work or spending or gambling, Mm. or some people even think that serial entrepreneurship can be a form of addiction, a behavioral addiction as well. Yeah, we've had a number of those <laughs> around it's, us and on the show. It's, it's the adrenaline junkie who mm. switches off by going and doing extreme sports, right? It's, it's yes. that sort of behavior, right? Um, this, this adds a lot of color. And it's really nice to start putting some things around the subjects we're talking about. Um, I think, well, one of the things that stayed with me after our last conversation was that you also talked about a genetic propensity. So is there, is there a chicken and egg type situation? Is there, you're born to be an entrepreneur and therefore you are likely to develop these things or is it the other way around? I mean, you've been in the field for such a long time. What is your conclusion on this? My conclusion is that people are born with the propensity for entrepreneurship. And that if, you ha- if you're born with that propensity and you have the right opportunities, then you'll be the one to start a company. And very few people are born with that propensity. Um, the entrepreneurs of today, I think, would have been the hunters of the, the pre-agricultural era. And they were born with the propensity. And it's, as you said, it's the adrenaline junkie that there's, there's a thrill of, first of all, there's a, a motivation because if you don't bring home some wild game, then your tribe is not going to do very well. Everybody's counting on you. And that's the same if you're an entrepreneur that your family is counting on you, your employees are counting on you, the investors are counting on you. So there's a lot riding on how well you do your job. And uh, then once you do see like an animal to go hunting for on on the horizon, you get into this flow state where you're hyper-focused and entirely engaged with the pursuit of the goal. 
And the same happens to entrepreneurs as well. When they identify an opportunity, they switch into a flow state and they hyper-focus on pursuit of the goal. And they can be very, very, very so engaged with their goals that they just never go home. They work around the clock and they get become obsessed and preoccupied and uh, disconnect from other relationships. And then the hunters take risks to go hunting in the first place and they take more risks to actually succeed. And many of them don't come back. And I think that's the, the propensity. The propensity has adaptive advantage for populations, but it may not be good for individuals. And if you look at what happens to entrepreneurs, they mostly fail and they mostly wipe out. And uh, for many entrepreneurs, the long-term life outcomes are not great. Uh, and th I think that was true of the early adventurers and true of the early hunters as well. But it's a, it's a gene pool that lives in the population and it's the gene pool that gives us our creative edge and our adaptive flexibility and our and the possibility of the human diaspora spreading out and discovering new opportunities and now it's just transformed into the the sphere of entrepreneurship within our our current economy mm. i'm just thinking that you know we live our life with this view of we are in control and actually it's the absolute, complete opposite of it. Um, so Michael, with all the knowledge, and now when we talk about that it's a gene, it's a, pro a propensity, um, how are you looking on what's happening across society? Because obviously it happens in different sort of parts of the world in different timelines, um, but there is a similar trend there is such a buzz and hype and glorification, as we said before, about people coming into entrepreneurship as a life path, as a profession, right? And now everything you said is sort of like, I feel like there should be a test at the beginning for, you know, are you made for this? I mean, what's your view on this? Like what's happening? What I agree. And my team is creating that test right now. Amazing. Okay. We'll be the guinea pigs. <laughs> but let me also clarify for anybody yes. who's listening that these superpowers are 50% genetically transmitted and 50% learned. Okay. So even if so there's the, some the hope. there, if you want to be an entrepreneur and you don't have that predisposition, you can learn it. And I've met a lot of entrepreneurs who you wouldn't have bet on in the first place. But they learned, I, I've met people who are shy, who learned how to be outgoing. And I've met people who are very organized and methodical, who have learned how to be more creative. And I've met people who are risk averse, who've learned how to take more risk. So it's not either or. There's uh, the, the brain has what we call plasticity. You're not mm. stuck in the mind you were born with. It, you can learn how to speak a different language. You can learn how to play a musical instrument. And you can learn how to be much more entrepreneurial than where you started. Yeah. So you've been doing this for 20 years now. 
Um, the study that you published is also not very recent. We know that you've been working on some more studies. Is there anything that in your recent piece of research has changed or new insights that you've gathered that might give us a little bit more light on, on both on the one side, the things that are happening from a mental health perspective, but also if you apply your practitioner's head, how people actually learn to deal with them. Because one of the things we want our audience to take away from our, or our guests is, okay, so I'm in this dip, I'm experiencing something, I'm slowly learning how to articulate this, but what can I do? Yes, uh, that's an important question. And I would say for anybody who's listening, if you, uh, if you are an entrepreneur, then you have certain strengths and certain vulnerabilities. And the strengths are great, no problem there, except that too much of a good thing can be a bad thing. So where I would like to start is with self-awareness. Be aware of what are your strengths and what are your vulnerabilities. Let's say that one of your strengths is optimism. Uh, and it's hard to be an entrepreneur without being optimistic. Too much optimism can cause you to have bad judgment mm. and take risks that um, are not really well advised. So if one of your strengths is optimism, it's important to have self-awareness about that and to have a risk management strategy to prevent you from being overly optimistic. It's not so hard to do. Get a second opinion. Have your own personal board of directors. Have advisors. Uh, look before you leap. On, on the other side of the coin are the vulnerabilities. And If you, all entrepreneurs have vulnerabilities. With respect to that, the way I like to think about it is what can you do to prevent your vulnerabilities from causing problems? And if your vulnerabilities have caused a problem, how do you manage that? So there's prevention and then there's self-care. And the prevention part, uh, there's a lot that you can do. And it's, in, it's basic wellness, things like getting enough sleep, maintaining your physical fitness, having exposure to sunlight, to spending time in nature, and having a close network of uh, friends and loved ones that validate you as a person rather than validating you as an entrepreneur, um, using mindfulness techniques, having the ability to regulate your own emotions, learning some uh, cognitive behavioral skills so you can detoxify thought patterns that are going to lead you into you know, um, false narratives, false beliefs. There's a lot of prevention skills and strategies that people uh, can that are not that hard to learn and that people can apply in their everyday lives and it makes you much more resilient as an entrepreneur so proactively managing your mental health can make you much more effective as an entrepreneur and much less vulnerable to the mood swings and the strong emotions and the negative internal states and the isolation and the uh, irritability and the agitation and the feelings of hopelessness that otherwise you might be 
exposed to. Do you have any any um, sort of tips or let's be practical here. If somebody wants to go there, what are the different ways to get to know yourself better? So we know about therapy. What? How, how do you look at this sort of tool? What's available in that toolkit? Yeah, so starting at the beginning, the relationships that entrepreneurs get into are frequently defined by a power structure that involves uh, dominance and subordination. Somebody's a leader, somebody's a follower. The, uh, the entrepreneur ultimately has to make the decisions. And no matter, and the best entrepreneurs have teams where people feel empowered to express themselves, but ultimately the entrepreneur needs to, to lead and to decide and make the choices. And so one avenue to self-awareness is to get out of that structure and have a different set of relationships with people who are um, peers and equals and where the relationships mm-hmm. are based on reciprocity and where people can give each other mm-hmm. honest feedback. And... Um, So I think it's very important for entrepreneurs to combat the isolation that happens as you build a business by maintaining close relationships with the family members that you really connect with and by having a close set of personal friends. So that's one avenue. Another avenue would be um, some kind of mindfulness practice where you learn to let your mind just do what it wants to do without becoming overly engaged with thoughts and the emotions that you have. And if you practice, if you have some kind of mindfulness practice, and it can be meditation, and it can be uh, one of these apps that are out there right now, there's many of them. Uh, or it can be some kind of a Buddhist practice, um, or it, whatever it is. They they all involve learning how to be still and quiet, and uh, learning how to not engage with whatever's going on in your mind. And so, if you get to that place where you can watch the, what your mind does on its own, you become you become aware, more self aware. Uh, a, a third avenue to self-awareness would be something along the lines of therapy. Um, and there's therapy and there's coaching. <clears throat> um, and those, I think those are both very, they can be both very helpful. Uh, my concern that I would share with entrepreneurs about therapy is that a lot of therapists and coaching Um, is that a lot of therapists and a lot of coaches do not understand neurophysiology and they do not understand the brain basis of personality and mental health. And so there's a limit to how much awareness you can develop working with a therapist who doesn't understand that panic attacks are biological 
and that you're more vulnerable to having panic attacks if you had the experience of loss of an important loved one in childhood and that you're more vulnerable to having panic attacks if you drink coffee or if you swim underwater or if you're in an elevator where the ratio of oxygen to carbon dioxide is different from what you're expecting. And so um, I hope that over time we can educate therapists and coaches mm. about to be more informed about the neurophysiology, the neuro psychological basis of entrepreneurship and all these symptoms. But for the entrepreneurs, I think the like the next level of self-awareness comes from um, psychoeducation to uh, really understand if you do have ADHD, what does that really mean? And a lot of therapists will not diagnose that. I've worked with plenty of entrepreneurs who've been through tons of therapy and nobody ever told them that they're in the bipolar spectrum and nobody ever told them that they have ADHD because of the way therapists are trained. Mm -hmm. uh, therapy is not a branch of medicine. And so a lot of therapists never get the psychiatric overlay of to con the context of personality and mental health. So psychoeducation, I think, would be, and we're, I'm trying to make that more accessible to people, but I think that's very important as well. Wonderful. Let's, let's shift our lens a little bit into, into the future, and in the future through the perspective of what we're trying to achieve with the Future Fund, but also what we've established with by talking to you prior to this is also part of your vision, which is we understand a little bit better how entrepreneurs function and why they're doing what they're doing. We have an understanding about the different facets of mental health experiences. Um, but we haven't really talked a lot about the stigma and why is it that we are in a situation where there's this very strong stigma. So is there a conversation to be had about also calling out the people that contribute to the hype and contribute to the extreme pressures under which entrepreneurs are being put. So we have been very vocal by talking to investors, to VCs, and said, guys, it's great that you're talking to us about this, but let's face it, we're also all part of the problem. And there's a lot of reluctance to accept that on the, on the investor side. Um, from your experience, but having worked with investors as much as you have worked with entrepreneurs, what, what is your experience? My experience is that we're in the moment where we're beginning to see early adopters. At the level of the limited partner, my experience is not vast, but I have not seen a lot of like interest mm. or awareness at that level. At the level of the investor, I'm beginning to see um, some uh, investors, some venture capitalists, some family office people, people typically who have had their own mental health experience or they have a family member that has a mental health issue who get the concept. And so I think that conversation is beginning to happen. And I would love to host dialogues among investors to spread awareness about the importance 
of this issue. And I think that increasingly investors are at least willing to listen to the conversation. And then there's a third tier of who's going to actually put money into helping entrepreneurs with mental wellness. And honestly, so far, I have found maybe three or four venture capital firms that actually have a budget that they give to the entrepreneurs that they can spend on getting mental health support. So it's they don't want to do it really because it comes out of their own pocket. The way the venture capital firms work is that um, the invest the the administrative costs are borne by the the venture partners, and this kind of ends up falling in a category of administrative support. But nonetheless, there's uh, there are these early adopters. I've begun I've begun to meet them. They're very cool people. Um, more women than men, mm. I would say, of the ones I've met. It's maybe two-thirds women investors and one-third men who are the investors. But it's it's beginning to happen. And, um, you know, on my wish list would be a way of showcasing best practices to illustrate to others how it could be done. Yeah, this very much sort of maps, uh, I'm, and I'm looking at the as you are nodding, uh, our experience, Michael, as well, talking to investors. It's It's... It's encouraging because we equally are meeting some of those pioneers and the the advocates. They are outliers in their own way. Um, I, I you made me think about the wider systemic change, right? So let's broaden it up a little bit because we have other players in this whole game. So you mentioned the LPs. I wish one day that that change will be driven from that place um, because those are the people who also set the values, right? By which then the, let's say, VC team, the investors, they actually look on the investments and the founders themselves. But then we have sort of other stakeholders. We have media. They play a big role. They glorify the role models they put across. We have public sector. We have organizations like World Economic Forum that has a major voice, right? We have national governments, uh, international players. Um, we have incubators, accelerators. You mentioned them at the beginning. What, what's your view on how we as a whole industry and as a society or economy at large can start shifting the needle? And it can feel overwhelming, but we at Future Farm believe that that's one of the places to also, you know, drive the change from? To me, the easiest place to start is by asking the question, do you care about entrepreneurs as people? And the answer mostly is no. The, um, the investors care about entrepreneurs as a pathway to return on investment. The academic researchers care about entrepreneurs as a way of understanding how to increase economic growth. The policymakers care about entrepreneurs as a way of trying to stimulate job creation and so everybody, everybody wants to get something out of these entrepreneurs, but, but who cares about them as people? And so if you start 
with every stakeholder, if you start with the media, if you start with the policy makers, if you start with the uh, research, the academic researchers, if you start with the investors, and just ask the question, do you care about this entrepreneur as a person? And what can you do for this person so that they have a shot at having a happy life and being being well? Then you look at it an entirely different way. So, for example, everybody understands, but very few people discuss the fact that most entrepreneurs at the beginning live at or below the poverty level. Okay, mm. why are we allowing that to happen? We 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 know that somewhere between 80 to 100% of new jobs come from companies that are less than five years old. Why are we allowing the people who are going to create these jobs that we all depend on to live at or below the poverty level, to not have health insurance, to have substandard housing, to eat like noodles all day long because they can't afford healthy food? I, this, these are the systemic yep. questions. Yeah. So that's where I would start for every, every, everybody in the ecosystem, wherever their role is, what are you doing to help entrepreneurs as people? And then go from there. Thank you. This lends this well. Is, this is such a wonderfully simple statement mm. that has so much strength in it. Because you you broke it down for every individual profile, and I think this could be this could be the the, the, the title of this episode, um, <laughs> Michael. Um, because in in the kind of looking at at wrapping up, uh, you also started recently a new business. Do you want yes. to tell us a little bit more about what what it is that you're doing, what you're looking to achieve? What we're looking to achieve is to destigmatize mental health among entrepreneurs to normalize entrepreneur mental health differences and to create scalable mental health solutions for entrepreneurs. That, uh, that it, it, at the high level is the objective. Then drilling down from that, what we've been trying to discover are ways you can productize around that mission and we've been trying a lot of experiments. Mm. We've been creating public education programs. We have one coming up on April 22nd, actually. We've been uh, leading, we've been, we've created a speakers bureau where we provide um, education and training to incubators, accelerators, venture capital firms. Uh, I told you now we're developing um, uh, assessment instruments mm -hmm. so we can help people really pinpoint for themselves what should they be thinking about. Um, we're doing workshops and retreats. We're starting uh, support groups for entrepreneurs. So any way that we can think of something that's scalable to help drive this agenda. We talk to the media quite a bit and try to uh, convey through public information channels, messages that help to normalize uh, entrepreneur mental health differences. Um, that's, that's kind of the path that we're on. 
It's a lot of fun <laughs> and we meet a lot of resistance. Yeah. I mean, I love how when we talked our first conversation, how open you were about also what we are experiencing, that it is really not easy to build a scalable model, right? And sustainable model, uh, although the cause and the need is there. So um, thank you for that. But Michael, so I want to end on a different note. You asked this beautiful question, whether you care about entrepreneurs and people, and we do care about you as a human being. So I'm going to ask, I'm curious, how do you take care of yourself, Michael? What's what's your, uh, one of our guests, she used this term support bra. So I, I'm going to use it. What's your support bra or what's your support system? How do you be well? How's Michael well? Um. Good question. I'll 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 go through. I'll tell you all my secrets. Um, not necessarily in this order, but first of all, I always get really good sleep. And then uh, the second thing is I exercise every morning. And I I can't emphasize how important both sleep and exercise are. Mm. Sleep is the Sleep is the most effective mood stabilizer that there is. And exercise is as effective as any antidepressant. The third thing is that I live very near um, outdoor natural environments where I can go hiking in, you know, forests and hilltops and have beautiful views. So I have a lot of exposure to nature. Um, I am close to my family. I'm in a really lovely marriage and I have a lot of emotional support. I have a good network of friends um, that uh, is really quite nourishing. And I have work that I love that I'm passionate about and that I find intrinsically rewarding. So I feel like a lot of the, the financial like outcome is not the main driving factor. The the main driving factor is having a sense of purpose and a sense of meaning and the enjoyment of being on the journey. I like, it's a privilege to be talking with you guys today mm. and you can't quantify the value of that, but I appreciate it. Um, I try to not be too uh, like, um, one-sided, you know, I have interests that like cultural interests and, and interest in politics and engagement with community and stuff. So I try to, um, be, you know, maintain some breadth, not go down exclusively down one rabbit hole. And, um, I have a bunch of people that I can call on for advice and, get um, guidance from, you know, when I need to. So those are some of the tricks that I, that I use that I, that I recommend for other people, healthy nutrition, I think also on the list. Mm. Does a, does a, do you, Michael, as a therapist, do you have a therapist? Not right now, but I have off and on over the years. Okay. So it's part of the toolkit. Thank you. Yeah. It's pretty unique to tap into your magic box. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you for making time for us, Michael. We feel really honored and just happy to be able to talk to you. I think it was really just so rich and so 
insightful. so provoking, mm, insightful, so we have a lot to digest. Mm. So it's uh, a goodbye for us and hope to get the chance to have you on, on the show soon. Yes. Well, I'm happy to come back and support whatever you're doing. I think we're all on the same journey here. And I really appreciate that you're putting your time and your energy and your resources into communicating these messages as well. Thank you, Michael. We truly are standing on your shoulder. So excited about what's ahead of us together. Join us next week to reflect and digest. You've been listening to Naked by The Future Farm, where entrepreneurship is stripped to its vulnerable core. To learn more about our work, sign up to our newsletter or visit thefuturefarm.co where you can also apply to be a Naked guest. Naked is produced by Dan Turgill and edited by Catherine Dworkin. And remember, subscribe, follow and rate Naked to help share it with the world. <laughs>